Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Here's what's coming up on this edition of the podcast, including content from the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. First up, it's Kay Arthur of Precept Ministries International, offering insight into the significance of the nation of Israel and how God's faithfulness to Israel can be an inspiration to today's Christians. Next, Joel Rosenberg is back with another political thriller injected with faith elements. This time, Russia threatens some former Soviet republics who are part of NATO. In the book, he explores how the Allies, including the U.S., respond. Plus, he believes that his invention of a pillow was inspired by God, even though he was not following Christ. Learn about some of the life story of Mike Lindell. Then from New Life Ministries, it's Stephen Arterburn, offering some insight for men in their midlife years. Also coming up on this edition of The Intersection, former collegiate and NFL star punter Craig Colquitt, who is involved in his local fellowship of Christian athletes and has written a children's book emphasizing loving others despite differences. Then you'll be hearing some highlights from two post-NRB conversations. First, it's Jason Yates of My Faith Votes, emphasizing the importance of Christians being involved in the electoral process in accordance with their biblical beliefs. Plus, with an update on their most recent movie effort, it's Kevin and Sam Sorbo, whose movie involves an atheist who turns his life over to God and experiences dramatic changes. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, more movie discussion, this time from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at NRB. Jen Gotson Chandler chatted about a movie in which she plays a wife whose husband had died, a woman who was faced with having to explain his absence to their kids. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. At NRB this year, I had a chance to talk with Kay Arthur of Precept Ministries International, who discussed a number of topics, including the significance of the nation of Israel and how God's faithfulness to Israel can be an inspiration to Christians today. She shared some information relative to her novel, Israel, My Beloved, from that conversation at NRB 2018. This is Kay Arthur. I wrote a, a one and only historical novel and it's the history of Israel from 586 BCE, as the Jews call it, before the Common Era, and we say before Christ. But uh, so I wrote that, and I was remembering today because CBN was throwing a big celebration mm-hmm. too uh, for uh, Israel. And uh, several years ago when I was in Israel, I got just a private tour and got to see the place where Ben-Gurion signed that, you know, and how they declared them a nation. And in this novel that I've written, is called Israel, My Beloved. And so it's a historical novel, but all the events in the, uh, that happened to, to Sarah, who represents Israel, actually happened. So I have her in a coma, taken out of Auschwitz, sick, in a coma, and, uh, and Sarah, and she's in the hospital, and they're listening to Ben-Gurion's speech. Mm. And she comes out of the coma and discovers that the doctor that's taking care of her is her son. And so it's just, it's a real emotional, dramatic um, a time for me, you know, because I love Israel. And I knew nothing about it until I became a Christian at the age of 29. I mean, who knew? Who could care about Israel? But it is pivotal, pivotal in the Word of God. You know, the Old Testament is about God is the creator, 
God as the beginner of a nation that he takes out of the other nations. And then it is the history of Israel. And you go all the way through the Word of God, don't you? Oh, my goodness. And it was very interesting. You talk about Auschwitz. Yes. And how within a decade yeah. of an attempt to essentially exterminate right. or obliterate huge numbers of Jews, the ultimate mm -hmm. aim to totally destroy the Jewish people. And within that time span, yeah. here you have Israel being resettled within those boundaries yes. that were prescribed by scripture. Right, and, and <laughs> determined that they would never give up that land. And you know, just before, uh, I, I think it was even before or right when Jerry Johnson, our president of the NRB, was asking me to speak on Israel, I was in God, the Spirit of God laid, my, uh, laid it on my heart to go back and read Deuteronomy. So I've been reading Deuteronomy and all the times that it, it, he mentions over and over again in Deuteronomy, this is the land I gave you, this is the land I gave you. So it's not a political issue, it's been made a political issue because they don't know what the Bible has to say, you know, but it's a biblical issue. And knowing that and understanding that and then understanding that God tells us uh, that the land is his. And it is in Leviticus 25, the land is his. It, he says, you are not to sell my land. So for Israel to try and give land away is wrong, you know, and, and, uh, and people have to understand that. It's not you know, that God doesn't like the Muslims and he loves the Jews. It's that God is God. And this is what he said. And he sets the boundaries for the nations. So it's our job to pray for Israel. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When I pray for the uh, peace of Jerusalem, there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. You know, when I was writing the novel, Israel, My Beloved, which, by the way, may become a mini-series. So oh, we wow. will, yeah. Um, That's awesome. So, uh, but if it does, but when I was writing it, I would get in a cabin in Jerusalem and that, and people would ask me what I'm doing because I'm very friendly. And I would say, I'm writing uh, your story in a novel form. And, um, and the book opens up, you're, uh, and you understand that Sarah is really Israel, representing Israel. And then you go through her, her life, and as you go through your, her life, you're going through the history of Israel. And, and you look at it, and you see this God in his sovereignty has ordained this. And they would say to me, well, what's going to happen to us? Uh, is it good? Is it bad? And I, I'd say, you know, it's good. But before it gets good, it gets very, very bad, mm. very bad. And so we can expect a lot of turmoil in the Middle East. Kay Arthur here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, precept.org. More now from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at NRB 2018 in Nashville. Author and commentator Joel Rosenberg stopped by to discuss his latest novel, The Kremlin Conspiracy. Here now with some information relative to that book involving the threat of Russia to some former Soviet republics who are part of NATO. This is Joel Rosenberg. There is no NATO if we mm. don't defend yeah. Article 5. But if we do, we run the risk of massive casualties, possibly nuclear war, 
So this is a horrible situation. Now it can be, in real life, it could be thwarted. How? By b building up the deterrent force of NATO in the Baltics right now, rather than waiting for the possibility that, that a Russian leader might be tempted to go grab it. Right now there are, there are fewer than 5,000 NATO forces stretched out in the three countries, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, which are right on the border with Russia. That's not that many when you're facing mm. 100,000 Russians. If you had more, you might create a high enough speed bump that the Russian leader wouldn't be tempted. But in the novel, <laughs> this, is the, this is the crisis that, that, that builds to a head. Yeah, and the book is called The Kremlin Conspiracy. Obviously, it's, it's not really about these three countries or even one of the three countries that the Russian leader wants to, well, we could say annex, right. these countries having been part of the former Soviet right. Union. So obviously there is a, a, a bigger agenda, and that apparently is to to weaken or obliterate NATO, yeah, I would imagine, exactly. or maybe it, there's more. It, no, completely undermine and collapse NATO. Yeah. I, I believe that you grab one of those countries, NATO doesn't respond, that's it. That's the end of right. NATO. And now, a Russian leader doesn't have to go take France or England or Poland. Suddenly, everybody is cowering because they know the United States hasn't done anything, NATO hasn't done anything, and now a leader sitting in the Kremlin can can blackmail countries into doing whatever he wants them to do, and not just there, but the Middle East, Asia. I mean, everyone. this guy would suddenly go from a threatening leader with a military and, and a, you know, a 10th largest country in the world to the superpower on the planet because the Russians have 7,000 nuclear warheads. They have ballistic missiles. It's not as though they're not capable of firepower, but nobody currently believes that it's that big a deal. We've allowed in real life, now I'm shifting off the novel back to real life. Yeah, okay, we are, note, Joel is now getting <laughs> back into real life, which I'm dying to do myself. So okay. thank you for taking so, so that think initiative. About it. So, so the world is giving Putin a pass. Putin has invaded uh, uh, Georgia and he occupies 20% of it. He's invaded Crimea and he annexed it on April or March 18th. That's when he's going to have re-election for himself this coming March 18th. Yeah. As, a, as a, just a stick in the eye to the world that he grabbed a, a, a territory and nobody stopped him. He grabbed the eastern Ukraine in the Donbass region. He owns it. He, he is helping Bashar Assad help slaughter hundreds of thousands of people. Nobody stopped him. And this is a guy who, you know, as one expert on Russia once said, um, uh, dictators aren't stopped until they're stopped. If this guy, you know, the, the, the trajectory of what he's done is every few years he goes and grabs something else and the world doesn't stop him. I believe Vladimir Putin is more dangerous than radical Islam, which is saying something. No, no doubt. But if the, if the world continues to do nothing... This guy is going to think I can do more and more. It doesn't, you know, give a, give a mouse a cookie. He's going to want a glass of milk. This guy is eating a whole bag of Oreos. And the world has said, uh, there's nothing we can do about it. This is setting us up for one of the most dangerous moments in U.S.-Russian, U.S.-European relations ever since the 1962 missile crisis in Cuba. Wow. All right, time for the lightning round. Okay. I know that your novels are known for their their faith as well as Bible prophecy sort of perspective. How does that figure in to the Kremlin conspiracy? Bible prophecy doesn't figure into this particular novel, yeah. except in, in, for those who know my teachings on Ezekiel 38 and 39, yeah, yeah. 
you will be looking at this going, hmm, Joel's back to Russia. What, all right, where does this all fit in? I didn't make it explicit, but it'll be interesting for people to read it. There's definitely a faith element. Uh, the main character, uh, the hero in the book, is a former U.S. Secret Service agent named Marcus Riker. He's a believer, but some, but some very devastating personal things have happened in his life. Uh, he thinks he's taking a break and trying to catch his breath after some very sad things have happened. And he, what he finds himself is smack dab in the middle of the worst crisis um, it, between the United States and Russia in human history. And, uh, and this is a faith challenge for him. How do I operate as a believer in Christ, a former Secret Service agent in Moscow, in the midst of this crisis, and it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge. Joel Rosenberg here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website, joelrosenberg, R-O-S-E-N-B-E-R-G dot com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow, who discussed with me at NRB not only the background of the product, but how God has dealt in his life. From that conversation at NRB, this is Mike Lindell. This idea, this company, is something you believe was inspired by God, even though you were not walking with Him. Now you, you were on crack. You were, you know, you were. Your life was really messed up. Mm -hmm. You got clean. You had cried out to God, but you had not had an experience with Christ. So tell me how that occurred. Absolutely. And you know, here I want to say too, you'd always see me on TV when I started the infomercials wearing my cross. Yes. Yes. And everyone's, you know, they're. I would sit and I would argue with people, why are you wearing your cross on TV and you can't wear that? And I even had a company say, we don't want you to wear it if you're going to be on. I said, well, then I'm not coming on. Well, it got it, they, um, in 2015, we started doing these commercials. We do all of our own commercials. We, you know, we make them ourselves, design them, and you know, think of what's going to be in them. And we make them real. And I got up, it got up to be, uh, we, got, we started getting more and more of this platform, and uh, to now I have 1,600 employees. But it wasn't until all the, and then all these miracles started happening to me during 16 and 17. Well, it was February 18th, 2017, just about a year ago, where I had, uh, went to this, uh, it was like this retreat, and I had the most amazing experience. We went back to our, the wounds we had as a child, and I said, and I did my, I gave my life to Jesus, you know, born again. And I'm going, so all those times I'm going, I wanted to be, have that walk, but I wasn't there yet. And now look out. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So here we have Mike Lindell, who in 2009, you had become clean from drugs. Right. You had been wearing a cross right. uh, in your infomercials. Every, every, even when I wasn't in the infomercials, I wore but it like that. It's been just over a year that you've right. actually been born again. Yes, absolutely. And, and, <laughs> wow. and I kept, you know, the gal that I met in 2014, she had this amazing relationship with Jesus. And I'm going, she goes, you're not born again yet. I go, I go, yes, I believe in God. I was taking offense to that, you know, and I'm going, and uh, I'll tell you what, there's nothing now. I was always looking forward to the day, just like the passion I have for my pillow or have, and to have that for Jesus. And after that born again, now it's like, look out, look out. <laughs> well, and, and of course, after you became clean from drugs, it was a short period of time after that that you actually, the, the company had come down to, to nothing, but then it built right. back up yeah. Yeah. after that right. point. Yeah, a couple of different times. You know, after I, January 16, 2009, I had to get it back. I had, uh, um, I, and, and uh, that built, I built it all the way up, getting my home shows and fairs back. And then that when I launched that infomercial in 2011, we exploded there. But then even, that was just a half-hour infomercial. And two years later, we were down to, you know, I had... Uh, 
we're down to nothing again. And it's like we've been up and down like three times, and but the platform is was still there. That was just this amazing platform we're at today where the pillows now, to me, are secondary, <laughs> secondary wow. to spreading Jesus, spreading the word of Jesus. So how now looking back and having given your, given your heart to Jesus and, and the pillow obviously is the, the platform, people right. know you. Oh, yeah, you they are, know. You, yeah. you are someone you come into their homes, you come right. into their medicine cabinets. So people know you. Yeah. Now you have that opportunity to, to share with people about the gospel. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's amazing to me that people come up to me now and it's almost, it's neck, neck, and neck. And one, the first thing is that, you know, if they talk about how good the pillow is and how good that, I get that. But most often I get the story, they, 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 the story of hope and spreading the gospel. And they come out to me and they go, wow, I can't believe you are a crack cocaine addict and what Jesus has done in your life. And, and to be able to give people hope, that's a huge thing. And they, uh, and the other thing is, you know, all the people that are addicted, to, you know, I'm, I've got a, a, my foundation and an app coming out where we're going to take drug addicts and, and get them where, um, and where they, they can come on and pick their drug, you know, whatever drug they're on and their age, mm -hmm. and we will connect them with stories of hope. All these stories like mine that are their age group of how they made it through. And most of the time they're going to find out it was Jesus. Mike Lindell here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, Michael J. Lindell, L-I-N-D-E-L-L.com. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Stephen Arterburn, founder of New Life Ministries. In a conversation at NRB 2018, he discussed material related to the book, Six Ways for Men to Thrive in Midlife. From that conversation, this is Stephen Arterburn. I would start to say, you know, what, what values that really characterized my life 10 years ago, what, what have I kind of veered off from? And what could I do to get back in line with those values? Is it meeting with men? Is it a, getting in a men's Bible study? Do I need a, an accountability group? Do I need to go to a workshop or retreat, whatever, to kind of get back to the values? But a lot of times a man will notice that he hasn't just drifted, but he's literally closed himself off from the rest of the world. Maybe you're married to somebody that has criticized you, put you down, made you feel bad about yourself, and you're just trying to hunker down and survive it. Well, you need to do something different than that. You need to get help for both of you so that you come out of this thing alive and feeling good. A lot of women complain. Well, I don't understand why he isn't more open. And when you talk with them, they really do shut him down. And they don't honor him as a man. And so you got to work together to repair this. But if you do, you could end up closer than ever. My wife and I, we, we were evaluating this year. And we just we said, you know, we think this past year we grew more uh, we made better progress than most years because we sat down and evaluated it. We came up with that conclusion. On another year, it would have been the, the opposite. So I think it's important that you sit back and reflect on that relationship if you're married. And then what do you need to do to repair it? We're not very good at repairing things. We, we just try to keep going or get busy or distract ourselves. And if we can get in the business of repairing the relationship, we're going to be okay. Well, I understand in the book that you talk about needing to identify wrong beliefs yeah. and messages from the past. Yes. Yeah. How, how do you address those? Well, I think we're pretty hard on ourselves a lot of times. We may not yeah. admit it. Yeah. And so you make an error, you make a mistake, and you think, well, that that's defines me. That's who I am. But that's not true. And you, you need to see the value that Christ 
uh, has in you, that God has in you. You need to see your value. The life that you possess alone has value. And so you got to start over sometimes and say, wait a second, what is it that is valuable about me? What are the gifts that God has given me? What can I do with that? And here's the thing. You know, the Bible's so clear about Satan wanting to steal and rob and destroy everything in you. It's also clear that Christ didn't come to condemn you. So if you have these messages that are condemning, where's that coming from? That's your shame, that's from Satan. You've got to get those out of your head so that you can find that life that is so abundant and so freeing that Christ wants you to have. If you're not living that, maybe you need to get some help for that. And, you know, that's, we have an 800 number, 1-800-NEW-LIFE. You can call us, go to the website, newlife.com. You don't need to suffer alone because if you suffer long enough, you're going to end up in really big, big trouble. Well, and when you think about thought patterns that have been built up, and the Bible in 2 Corinthians 10, for instance, talks about strongholds yes. that have been built up. If they've build, been built up for long enough, they become so so much part of you. It's, it's more than just a, a matter, I would think, of just like thinking about something else because no, they've true. become such a part of a person. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of times we see those things and we're willing for God to take it from us or we're willing to be healed or whatever. A lot of times we're waiting for God to do what God is waiting for us to do. I had a guy say, you know, every day I get up and I surrender my pornography problem to God and I raise up my hand, I surrender my pornography and then I end up uh, right back in pornography. I said, you know what, maybe rather than raise your hand up, why don't you put it on the steering wheel and drive yourself to a meeting with some other men and tell them, hey, I got a problem with pornography. Maybe they'll encourage you, hold you accountable. Maybe that's the kind of surrender God wants rather than this exercise of you holding your hand up every day. And he said, okay, I'll try it. I don't know if he did or not. <laughs> Stephen Arterburn here on The Intersection. The ministry website is newlife.com. Well, you are listening to The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more by going to the website meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section of faithradio.org. At The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link marked Meeting House On Demand that takes you to the media center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on The Intersection Podcast. Also, through that homepage, you could subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast-receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The Intersection podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more about downloading the app for your smartphone or tablet by going to faithradio.org. Also, through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible as well, including content from the 2018 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Meeting House homepage in the programming section. Well, next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's former collegiate and NFL star punter Craig Colquitt. He stopped by at NRB 2018 to share some elements of his faith journey and about his children's book called JoJo, What Happened to Your Hair? Here now is Craig Colquitt. I've got a business card I gave you, and it's not really business. I call it business, but I have the verses, Philippians 4, 6 through 8, uh, on the front of the card, and, and I hand that to total strangers. It's my way of giving my testimony, but right off the bat, uh, Paul says in it, don't be anxious. And one of the biggest issues performing 
in front of a bunch of people as a punter or an athlete or radio in, in front of an exhibit hall, there's anxiety with that and pressure. And Paul's telling us 2,000 years ago, don't be anxious. And he's about, he could be killed at any time by the Romans. There's some pressure right there. So what I do with the verses is compare the dedication I had of to punting to perfect it in my sons too. And Paul goes into don't worry, but through prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, make your request to God. So the Bible, the verses go on even in verse eight to teach us how to think. You know, I don't want to wake up in the morning, which I do, and my back aches. And I go, mm. man, here I go. Here's going to be a long day. But there's my mood. Am I going to think that way all day? Or am I going to grasp this and say, this is my life. I'm going to enjoy it and, and live through the anxiety and live through the, the tension and, and the aches and pains. Well, there has to be an incredible amount of coordination and timing when you're taking the snap from the, the long snapper and then attempting to get that punt in the air. Especially when you've got, you know, somebody's trying to block the kick. You've got 11 guys on the line that are coming after you. You you know, I guess on a regular punt, you've got, what, seven or eight or maybe that are uh, attempting to, to come after you. So that can be a rather harrowing experience, but I'm sure you got used to it. <laughs> well, you, well I, I, there's actually, we talked, there's another book I've been thinking about doing called Gravity, A Punter's Position. I'm not going to, may do it, I don't know, but I lived in a two-second world. The ball snapped, and I've got to get it off two seconds or less, or it's going to be blocked. So I'm really good friends with all the guys that are protecting me, so now, they you, won't you let anybody through. Yeah. <laughs> Did you buy a lot of steak dinners? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to you got to stay in their in their minds. Yeah. So yeah. They, they want to keep their jobs too, but it's it's good to be close with your teammates. Did you ever have any kicks blocked? I had, I had <laughs> actually I had one tipped against the University of Alabama at Knoxville, and we were winning the game until that tip and Alabama got the ball and scored about 20 plays later. Oh but other than that, it's the only ball I've ever had blocked. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That I, is, that's amazing. I was very, I was gifted. I don't want to say I was a great athlete. I was gifted. I could sense people coming in. I literally would run around them yeah. and kick the ball. But, uh, you know, it's, it's different today. It's, uh, the, the guys are, my sons, they don't run with the ball. Uh, they've had some blocked, but their their focus is different from my focus. There's, I'd rather have their focus as to be wary of somebody blocking it and taking off running. I, I like the way they do it better. Well, you were sharing with me, you're on the board of directors for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Wilson County, which is just east of Nashville here. So tell me about the message that God has given to you as far as speaking to youth and addressing some of their issues. Thank you. Yeah, you know, everybody's got to, the kids got to be afraid. You know, you, we, you and I had pressure when we were in school. You know, we dealt with uh, what the things that were going in our school. But today, kids are afraid of somebody coming in and shooting them up. You know, it's got to mm. be terrifying. I spoke uh, recently to a, a, a youth group at, at a lo local high school, and I told them, you know, free will is about us all living our lives on our own. And unfortunately, the shooter had free will. We're, we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and people can think on their own that are outside of God, but it's still free will, and free will's better. But unfortunately, there's the, the negative of that. So I have that opportunity to give them peace of mind what you can have a peace of mind under those circumstances, but they can look to me and, and ask 
questions and I can talk about Paul, what I've learned from the Bible myself and experiences. Craig Colquitt here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website craigcolquitt.com. Well, coming up, highlights from two post-NRB conversations. Now it's Jason Yates, the CEO of My Faith Votes. In our conversation, he discussed the purpose of his organization, which challenges Christians to think, pray, and vote. He also commented on Governor Mike Huckabee's recent resignation from the board of the Country Music Association Foundation after there was opposition by those who disagree with the former governor's biblical values. By the way, Mike Huckabee is the honorary national chairman of My Faith Votes. Here now is Jason Yates. The Country Music Association um, on their website promises to quote-unquote respect and encourage creativity and the unique contributions of all. Um, they clearly are not respecting um, the the uh, values of Governor Mike Huckabee nor uh, Christians across this nation. Um, but uh, we shouldn't be surprised, right? Uh, religious intolerance. Um, this isn't a First Amendment thing. This is just an ignorance thing. Um, you know, we saw this uh, on The View not too long ago as well. Uh, host Joy Behar. Uh, she spoke out uh, about our vice president. She said he has a mental illness. Uh, again, these aren't issues that um, come against our First Amendment of uh, uh, religious freedom, but it is just simply an intolerance uh, that is making its way into our culture, and it's making its way into uh, the voting booth. You know, the one thing that's interesting, Bob, is – uh, everyone's talking about what Joy Behar said on the uh, view about the vice president, but few are talking about what their her co-host, uh, Sonny Hostin, uh, what she said uh, just before uh, Joy Behar's comment. And she discredited, she said that Vice President Pence puts on a quote-unquote religious veneer um, on issues. Uh, and so it's uh, she's basically claiming that uh, the, his religious uh, beliefs are just a facade, uh, and she came out and discredits what she called values voters uh, who are aligned with the vice president. I mean, what she can't figure out and what she can't stomach is that there are people with convictions and beliefs far different from hers, and she simply does not want anyone with those values going to the polls and voting. Um, but, you know, it's not a question whether or not someone's voting their values. We all do. We all vote our values. So it's more of a question of whether or not we are going to the polls and going to vote uh, uh, and bring our values to bear in the influence that we bring. Bob, let me tell you, 2018, I mean, we talk about the midterm elections, but there are over 9,000 elections happening across the nation this year. Mm. Uh, it's not just for senators and House of Representatives. Those are incredibly important. In fact, uh, for senators, we just there's a story out today that the, that Justice Kennedy may resign this summer. If he resigns, the Senate is going to become incredibly more influential in who is uh, then nominated and confirmed for the Supreme Court, another justice that uh, our current president is able to uh, place. So it, that alone is incredibly 
valuable. But there are thousands of state legislative seats. Uh, There are judges. There are school boards. Approximately one-third of students in public schools are going to be are represented by the seats that are up for election in school board races across the nation this year. So we need to, as Christians, we need to bring our values, our biblical worldview to bear in these elections. Um, This is one way uh, that we can influence the culture around us, and it's why My Faith Votes exists. Uh, we believe that our faith should influence the world around us, the culture around us, and we've chosen simply to focus on the very important act of voting as one way that we can do that and do that effectively. Jason Yates here on the Intersection Podcast. The organization's website is myfaithvotes.org. Well, I had a chance to catch up with Kevin and Sam Sorbo recently. They were involved in the movie Let There Be Light in various capacities, including as actors. In our conversation, they discussed different aspects of the film and the response to the theatrical release, which took place in late 2017. The conversation from which this material was taken took place just after the movie was released on DVD. Here now are Kevin and Sam Sorbo. We have exceeded all of our expectations in sales, so I'm very excited about that. People seem to have really responded to going and getting the DVD, and I'm thinking that a lot of those people saw the film in the theater, um, but a lot of them didn't because we only got to 800 or some odd, 800 something theaters um, because, you know, we were limited by our, our um, uh, P&A budget. But I got to tell you, the response from the theaters was so overwhelming. Kevin and I both received tons of emails from people. They applauded at the end of the movie. Audiences applauded in the theater, which when was the last time that's happened? God, it doesn't and happen much. And then they much. sat through the entire credit roll just because they just wanted to sit and absorb kind of the message of the movie and the the intention that's behind the movie. And then as they left the theater, we got story after story of people just talking to strangers, complete strangers. And I think that that's a testament to the fact that this film really um, really encourages us to acknowledge our shared humanity. We're living in very divisive times right now. There's a lot of negativity and a lot of, of people uh, with with a lot of hatred and unforgiveness. In this film, the, the message is the opposite of that. It's, it's that there is forgiveness, that there is redemption, that there is a shared humanity that we have. Even if we dislike each other, we can still love each other enough to, uh, to respect each other. And that's the message behind the movie, and it's really resonated with people. Hey, we're actually looking in our rearview mirror at the the Oscars and the types of films that the entertainment industry seems to be rewarding. I don't think you look at the the Best Picture nominees. By and large, you don't see a lot of redemptive elements there. It seems like that, you know, to to make something that has a redemptive message, I think a lot of people are craving that. What do you think? Uh, it's out there. There's no question. I mean, Hollywood's got the money. They got the power. They got their agenda, and they're putting out uh, movies that you're seeing that are winning Academy Awards. I mean, it uh, it blows my mind. We don't even watch it anymore. I mean, you you know they're just going to bash conservatives. They're going to bash Christians. I mean, they're they're just putting themselves more and more in a hole. They don't care that ratings are declining, and they've been going downhill on all these award shows for the last five six years. Well, it's funny, uh, they don't care. It's so. funny when you see social media and the number of people who are now just just um, not accepting the the Hollywood that we're seeing on television now. 
so many people, I mean, I read so many tweets, you know, I'm boycotting, and somebody responded, boycott would in, would uh, imply that I'm depriving myself of something because I'm making a stand, but I'm not depriving myself <laughs> of anything I don't want to watch, and there's a lot of, look, it's not all of Hollywood, but there are a lot of movies out there that are encouraging us to root for the bad guy, to actually be on the side of evil because it's less evil than the other side or whatever. And that's, that's a difficult position. That's a dangerous position to encourage people to, to uh, assume. And so, you know, we're just, we just want, we, we'd rather bring people together. We think that that's a more positive message. It makes for a better society, and that's what we're about. I like what you said earlier, Sam, about it really takes a lot of faith to be an atheist. So you've got, you are a notorious atheist and you experience, if I can say it like this, God's presence in your life. And it really started to change what was going on around you. Is that a, a fairly correct assessment? Yeah, I mean, he, this guy's went on a downward spiral. He out, and out, outwardly, he is a rock star. I mean, this guy, he's got a, he's, he's like a Bill Maher. You know, people in his audience, they just come and they cheer and they laugh at, uh, you know, anybody he's opposed to in, uh, in his debates. And but you know on the inside he's a pretty lonely guy. He you know divorced after uh, a child died when the child was only eight years old and eight years now he's just been pretty much on a downward spiral with the drugs and the booze and he's covering all everything up with drugs and booze and dating young women and just thinking that life is wonderful. But he's a pretty lonely guy and he has a life changing moment in him. Just that really challenges everything he thought he believed in and uh, he starts to question quite a bit of where he was and where he was at and the life they left behind with his wife and his other two boys which he's become uh, not a very good father figure to so it, it's his journey and you know i think this uh, you know these are characters in this whole whole movie that people can relate to and that's what i'm getting from people in the emails we get it's a it's it's a story that people can that touches them i got an email just yesterday because the movie is still out there in, in a bunch of countries overseas and up in Canada, somebody said that, you know, look, I'm a Christian. My wife is not a Christian, but she's a big fan of yours. So we started watching some of the movies, and they started making her think, and the light of the light pushed her over the edge. She, she fell down afterwards. She was crying, and she wanted to accept Christ right then and there. It's an amazing email I got from this guy. Kevin and Sam Sorbo here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website, lettherebelightmovie.com. Finally, from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, it's Jen Gotson Chandler. She is in the movie My Daddy is in Heaven, in which she plays a wife whose husband had died, a woman who is faced with having to explain his absence to their kids. Here now is Jen Gotson Chandler. Are the names basically the same in the film, or, or how does that work? Many of the names are similar. Yeah. So Rebecca's husband, Adam is yeah. Adam in the movie. Okay. Uh, Rebecca is actually called Becca. Okay. So yeah, and you are Becca. Okay. <laughs> I'm Becca. And then AC her daughter is AC in the movie. And then the other characters are inspired by real life situations, but the character names have changed. Yes. Like, oh my goodness, the girl Jill Morrison who plays uh, Becca, my character's best friend, she is so funny. So if you like to laugh and literally like belly laugh out loud, you got to see this movie and see what Jill does because uh, she takes my character Becca on a journey down a dark road. And in that dark road, we see conflict and obstacle and we see Becca turn into uh, the bad choices that she's choosing just because she's searching for something to fill that pain mm. of asking God, why does 
good things happen to bad people. Why did you take Adam? And that pain hurt so bad. So she needed to try to find an answer, and that's what people do. That's why people go to bars. That's why people turn to drugs, alcohol, all sorts of things, hang-ups, hold-ups, all the things people deal with. They're trying to find something to bring ease to the pain. And um, so that's, I think, uh, gosh, it, mm. I'm sorry, I just got babbling on. That's but right. that's the, that's, right. that's, a, yep. that's the heart of how these characters were inspired. And Rebecca actually met a homeless, smelly person <laughs> because um, when you live on the streets, you're, that, that's real. And it was in that moment is where God spoke life to her. And she literally spit on his face and ripped the sign in the movie mm. to be able to realize in that moment, God said, my hand is on you. Stop running. And God ran after her. And God touched her heart. And then it was when she touched her heart that she decided, I need to go back to my family. And a year later, on July 4th, she got to meet a, a new love interest. And actually in the story, this is total trivia, my husband, <laughs> my real life husband, he plays the love interest in the end of the movie. Oh, very nice. That worked out very well. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been in a couple of films together. He's actually from Chattanooga uh, area in Chickamauga, Georgia, yeah. where his family lives. And now the book is here on the table in front of us, and it is a children's book. What you've been describing is a very serious set of, of circumstances with respect to how Rebecca, of course you play her character in the film, how she dealt with grief, how she dealt with loss. So contrast, if you would, what Rebecca deals with here in the children's book and really how the story and some of its messages unfold in the film. Wonderful question, Bob. <laughs> So when you have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and you're trying to explain to them where did daddy go when daddy dies or where does mommy go when mommy dies, what is heaven or your grandparent, that's a big conversation. And so the storybook gives a beautiful pictorial journey through seeing that your loved one is with Jesus. It shows it in a very easy, effortless way of helping someone understand that when you die and you know Jesus in your heart, you celebrate, you, you go to heaven. There's eternity, there's, there's joy. And um, in the movie, that's the same storyline, though it's done dramatically and comedically through the art of storytelling on film directed by Wayman Boone. Jen Gotson Chandler here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the film by going to the Facebook page for My Daddy is in Heaven. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more by going to the website meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand. Also, you can learn more about subscribing to The Intersection Podcast and having it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you go to faithradio.org. Also, through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three, featuring three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content, including content from NRB 2018. 
Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.